0: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb. Unfortunately, my co-host, Jeff Ferris, bowed out today. He had something else going on, but that's okay. I'm really excited that we're going to be speaking here with none other than number one New York Times bestselling author, Ian Smith. He is going to be talking to us about his latest book, first in a new series called The Unspoken. I want to remind everybody here that all of our shows are brought to you by Suspense Magazine, so visit suspensemagazine.com for more information. And also make sure you check out November 17th when we have our suspense magazine anthology coming out called Nothing Good Happens After Midnight with Jeffrey Deaver, along with Linwood Barkley and Reese Bowen, Heather Graham, John Lasqua, several other top authors which you might, you know, recognize, so November 17th, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight, remember that one, but without any further ado, I want to take over here to our guest, um, this is Dr. Ian K. Smith, of course you might know him from several other things, but... We are happy to get him on to talk about his thriller series. Uh, You want to talk about information that's hitting us right now. This is a great book to go get. So, Ian, we want to thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today?
1: Great. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm excited to talk mystery and fiction uh, rather than medicine and hearts and disease.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, you can still talk about that in thriller if you choose to, like Robin Cook and others. But let's not go into that one. But you know what? So, The Unspoken is your first book here in a new series. Um, you know, it's set in Chicago. you got Detective Ash Kane. Tell us a little bit about what you got going on here.
1: Yeah, you know, I've been wanting to write a series like this for a long time. First of all, I'm a big consumer of mystery and suspense. Uh, and so I like to write what I like to read. I'm very selfish that way. And um, I wanted to create a character who I thought was the kind of guy I want to hang out with. So, Ash Kane spelled A-S-H-E-C-A-Y-N-E. Ash Kane is the kind of guy who is, he's tough, he's smart, he's sarcastic, he doesn't take himself too seriously, um, he's handsome, uh, he's a golf addict, he likes classic cars, and he has bad romantic history. Uh, and he's, You didn't he's, have to write about me, but thanks. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding, <laughs> uh, but He's just a fun guy. You like him. Uh, he's really sarcastic, which I love. Um, and uh, But he's determined He's really determined And he has a great moral compass This is the kind of guy where When something gets in his craw He just can't let it go Even if he's at risk uh, in, in trying to pursue justice per se The other cool thing is that He was formerly a detective With the Chicago Police Department, CPD And he left because he wouldn't participate In a cover up And that's when he hung up his own shingle And started his own investigative PI firm
0: Now, it wasn't just any cover-up, though. I mean, let's face it. I mean, you know, we got the mean streets of Chicago going on here, and, of course, Chicago is, you know, in the news. I grew up in the Midwest, in Ohio, so Chicago, of course, was uh, like the big city to me that we could kind of get to in about eight hours between, kind of like between that and New York. New York was a little further. Um, But you grew up in Chicago, so you're kind of writing about kind of close to home, but you're writing about areas that people generally don't see that much. So how was it? For you to be able to kind of get that setting, not really known familiar to a lot of people, but kind of make it its own character in the book.
1: Well, what's interesting is that um, I actually grew up on the East Coast, uh, so I'm a Northeast kind of guy. Oh, but I okay. I went to med school, but I know, but I went to med school um, in Chicago and have lived in Chicago for many years. So this is definitely my second home. Um, but what people don't know is that. Chicago is a city of so many conflicts, of so many paradoxes. It's a, it's a beautiful city. It's a gritty city. It's a, an easy city. It's a tough city. Um, it's a corrupt city. I mean, I, and I don't say that in a pejorative way, but it's corruption. I mean, when I moved here, um, I was just amazed at how foundational corruption is to the city. I mean, that's just how it works. Everything <laughs> involves backroom deals, kickbacks, you wash my back, I'll wash yours, connections. That's been so, going on for, for like 150 years, forever, right? Forever. I mean, <laughs> built into the fabric, the fiber of the city. So I yeah. said to myself, wow, what a great place to put a series. Everyone talks L.A., New York.
0: Right. They talk
1: Florida. But what about Chicago, this place that's in between? It's the flyover city. Third biggest city in the country, over 3 million people. but And people only have kind of stereotypic understandings of it. You know, Al Capone and you know all right. the crime and the stuff that makes headlines. But what about the city? And the city is a great character. And I, and I, and I wrote it so that the city would be a character in the book. It's similar to L.A. with, uh, with Michael Connelly and, right. and, and Bosch. I mean, L.A. is really a character. And if you don't know L.A., I happen to know L.A., but even if you don't know L.A., you get a real chance to get the feel of it. And I wanted people in the unspoken to really feel Chicago, whether it's someone from the wealthy North Shore
0: to someone from the hardcore streets of Inglewood. And I think that's important. Yeah. yeah, we've lived in L.A. now for the past 15 years, so I've gotten a really good idea of the city. Now, of course, before living in Ohio in the Midwest, you're like, oh, you know, L.A., the big city, and blah, 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 and you don't get it. But then when you get out here and you're like, oh, I kind of get it. And I think that Chicago kind of felt the same way for me for me too. But you know, it's a very tense time. I guess you want to say in the country right now. And your book hits at the at the heart of of the tense of that's going on in this country right now. Tell us a little bit about that involvement within your book, um, and and why you kind of wanted to make it you know so profound and, and so uh, gut wrenching, basically to me.
1: What was interesting is that I wanted to write this character for many years. Um, and then my jumping off point was a case that happened here in Chicago. Now, this is right before all of the social, you know, um, uh, the social reconciliation and the unrest right. and the injustice and all this stuff. Uh, right before that happened, um, a big case here, uh, Laquan McDonald, um, a video got released of a, a black young black guy Uh, who may have been strung out on drugs or whatever, but whatever it was, he was not listening to obeying the cops, but he was walking away from them very peacefully. He had no weapons. He was unarmed. He wasn't threatening. He was just walking away from them. And some guy unloaded. He unloaded his clip in the guy and killed him. And this happened, geez, at least a year and some change before it came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what happened was somehow somebody slipped the video, the body cam video, someone got it. And mm. had someone not released, first of all, had, someone, had there not been body cam video, and had someone not released the body cam video, we never would have known possibly about Laquan McDonald. And that, when that happened, I just was struck by that. I just was struck by how coincidental it was and how lucky it was that there was this evidence, and I said, this is a great kind of case for my character to say this was wrong and this is why I'm not going to participate in the cover-up, because it was a cover-up for a long time until the pressure mounted on City Hall mm-hmm. to be honest and open about it. And, and now this predates George Floyd and all the stuff that's happened since, but, right. but so, I didn't, so I, didn't, I didn't write it knowing... <laughs> Right. Now, the country was gonna be where we are now, now that you look at it, you're like, wow, people think that I was clairvoyant. I wasn't it? I just that case was so startling to me and and, and, and and so bad on so many levels that
0: I used it as a jumping off point. Now, secondary characters of course are always massively popular in the books, you know, it's those characters that give you those surprises. You didn't really know how bad popular they were going to kind of be when you started writing, and all of a sudden they had this bigger voice. Who is that kind of character for you in The Unspoken that kind of jumps out to you? No doubt about it, Mechanic. Um, mm. You know, people who have read the book love
1: him, Mechanic. Uh, Ash Kane is an African-American guy from the south side of Chicago. His right-hand man is a Lithuanian guy named Mechanic, and he's called Mechanic because when he was a kid and there were problems in the neighborhood, they went to him to fix him. And so they called him the mechanic. And he's just, he's fantastic. He is, uh, he's tough as nails. He's not very emotive. He's very quiet. And he's a sharpshooter. And so his gunplay is phenomenal. And he's afraid of absolutely no one. And so, you know, it's interesting when you write main characters and a cast of characters, supporting characters, sometimes the supporting characters, it's not that they overtake the main character, but, but they become so memorable. And so people really love Mechanic because they just, you know, people have written me and said Mechanic has to get a bigger role. Well, you know, maybe one book it'll be a story about Mechanic, but right now he's supporting Ash Kane, but he's a great he's a great number 2. They're a great uh, team together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and that's and, and I have to ask though, but did you just have a dartboard and kind of just throw it and was like, "Boom, Lithuania. Okay, I'm going to make him from there." How do you get Lithuanian? <laughs>
1: You want to know the truth about that? Yes I'll say the truth Lithuanian because My Mason guy Who does a lot of work Around my house Is from Lithuanian Oh and, There's the research Yeah yeah. And uh, You know it's interesting Other authors have said this For years obviously That writers tend to write Very comfortably and easily What they know And what's close to them Yep
0: What's close it's, to home
1: Right It's easy um, And I like this guy uh, Who's become my friend He's not just a com- contractor For me He's a friend of mine and um, he's Lithuanian, he still has a very strong accent, and, and I just felt as though, you know, he would be a great, Mechanic would be a great guy to have the background of my friend.
0: Uh-huh. And now, you decided that you were going to kind of write this as a new series, but why did you decide to pick it as a series? Uh, you know, did you know it was going to be a series before you started, or was it after you finished that you were like, all right, I've got to keep Ash going? No, 100% I started off that
1: I wanted it to be a series. Period. I knew I wanted to write a lot of books. I like series. I like Harry Bosch, I like Jack Reacher, um, uh, I like Henning Mankell's uh books. He's uh, probably one of my favorite authors uh now. Um mm-hmm. uh Wallander. So I like series. I like I like to be able to sit down and read about a character and the evolution of a character uh from book to book that, as a reader. I love that. I want more and more and more. And so I said, listen, I want to do the same thing. I want to create a character that people like and root for, and they want to come back every year to read about
0: his latest adventure. Mm-hmm. Now, how scary was it for you when you were writing kind of self-help books, you know, weight loss books, more medical things like that, into fiction? That had to have been a very, very different transition for you.
1: It was different, but it definitely wasn't scary. I mean, it was challenging, and I like challenges. Mm-hmm. My whole life has been about... You know,
0: trying to, you know, um, take. But was it out. scary in the fact of, oh my God, is anyone going to buy it because they know me for this? do they don't really know uh, me for this? I, yeah, you know well, what I, I mean, felt,
1: well, yeah, but I felt like I didn't have much to lose. I mean, true. My nonfiction diet books have been extremely successful. I mean, yeah, you know, you know many bestsellers on the New York Times list, number one, many many times. So I felt like, well, you know, if this doesn't work out, listen, <laughs> I, <laughs> I can always
0: I can, people can always free. keep losing weight.
1: I got a pretty darn career in my other book. Uh, So, you know, I don't want to make it seem like I took a big risk Uh because, you know, it would be, it would not present itself like, oh, wow, I was really nervous because I took a big risk and my whole life depended on me being successful in fiction. No. What it was was this is something I've always wanted to do. It's something I love. And so the risk I took was that people would say, well, I'm not going to read your book because you're a doctor or because um, you write these other types of books. So... I was hoping that people, and that's why in my books, on uh, my fiction, I don't put the MD after it. It's just Ian K. Smith. Uh, right. B- because I don't want people to, to come to the book with a bias that a medical doctor wrote this book because people like to pigeonhole other people. Well, if, if, True. if he's a scientist or a doctor, that means he doesn't understand art. He doesn't understand music. He just understands, and, and that's, not how, that's not how the world works. Mm-hmm. So I try to you know, avoid that uh, assumption that people may make. Um, but yeah, I think that going from nonfiction to fiction, it can be a big leap for many people, but for mm-hmm. me, I've always been creative, right? Because writing yeah. fiction, it just means you're, you're a creative person. and,
0: and Can lover, you tell a
1: good story? You can, as I was going to say, you're a lover of story. you got to right? tell a, a good story. You're a good storyteller, right? And you understand good story, and so I think yep. that I've been all my life, I've been a curious person about stories. Sometimes people say, geez, you ask so many questions, but... Uh, but I do, I like to learn, I like to hear good stories, I like to tell good stories, so I, for me it wasn't a big leap, but I will say that when you're facing a whole new genre and you've built your whole career in another genre,
0: you do say, "Jeez, I hope they like this stuff. It's a tough one. It is, you know, I mean, because you just wonder how many people will kind of follow you over and then how many more fans you're going to kind of get. It can be daunting and it can be scary in the fact, like I said, will anybody buy it? Because it's your passion and it's something that you're passionate about and you, and you want to be successful at your passion and you want to be able to have that, you know, that's, that's a big thing for people.
1: Yeah, you know, I don't, um, I make it a habit of not reading my reviews. That's good. You yeah. keep
0: up that habit. That's, yeah. Don't ever break that. Don't listen to Chicago. You keep that habit.
1: Well, But I will say this, though. So my, my publicist sent me the reviews from Publisher Weekly.
0: Um, that's a good one.
1: Kirkus. Um, and the reviews were so laudatory. They were so great. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I felt like, you know, I was going to fall over. I called my wife and said, you're not going to believe this. Like, I mean, honestly, I, I had to read them several times. <laughs> um, and, um, and I was It's almost like a feeling like Are they talking about me actually <laughs> Like they're, they're talking about You know that book that I was up at 3 o'clock In the morning day after day after day On my computer by myself Listening to Kiss FM in LA Through the internet Writing yep. by myself Because listen writers often work in a vacuum Right we work yep. in Dark places by ourselves with some type of stimulation, whether it's music or something else going on in the background, and you don't ever know how people are going to receive your, your creation. It's by creation. It's like artwork, right? It's, right. it's art for me. So uh, to get those good reviews was amazing, but in general, I don't read reviews because I feel like at the end of the day, I write the best book I can possibly write to entertain people. That's all you can people. do. Right? That's all I can do is try to entertain people. And, you know, some people are going to like it, some people are not going to like it, and
0: I just don't take sure. it personally. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, and you had me all the way up into Kiss FM, I'm just not that kind of music, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm still the 70s and 80s kind of, yes, you know, me metal too. rock kind of guy. Yes, but it's poppy, it's just, it's
1: because of the beat, you know, you're up 3 o'clock in the morning, you need, I need something to keep me going, and so I, I just like the poppiness of, you know, the, the artists that they play, and they play them in rotation yeah. every 30 oh, minutes. Oh yeah, they yeah, do, they
0: play awesome. Katy Perry and all of them, like, <laughs> all the time. All ten of them get the same 30 rotations. right. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. But the other thing that, um, you know, when, when you're starting to, because you wrote two thriller books before this, but now you kind of didn't to, you know, went into a series. You know, what was with the other two, standalones, or, or, what, or what was those?
1: Yeah, they were standalones. The first one, um, which people have for years been asking me to write a sequel to, The Blackbird Papers, mm. uh, was an FBI agent. Uh, by the name of Sterling Bledsoe,
0: okay. and because just, just 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 real quick disclaimer because yes. I'm not familiar with your other two books. I, this yes. one I knew. I didn't know about the other two. So,
1: yes, um, so that's, be an FBI, that's an FBI
0: agent who investigates the murder of his brother up at Dartmouth, um,
1: okay. and people love it. And so uh, they've asked for a sequel, and I do want to write a sequel. The Ancient Nine is about is based on my own personal experiences of being a member oh. of one of Harvard's secret societies. Actually, uh, when I was an undergrad at Harvard, so. Um, So both books have sequel potential, uh, and people have asked me to write sequels, and I will get around to it, but Ash Kane um, just called me, and
0: I I just said, I want to do this series and get this series going, and, you know, we're off. Now, you know I have to come back to the Harvard Secret Society thing that you just mentioned real quick. (laughs) But uh, now, is it something that you're still involved in, or is it just something that you just do when you're at Harvard? Uh, I'll answer it
1: by saying that once a member, always a member. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, some, it's, it's, a, it's a, unless you do something to get kicked out, it's a lifetime membership.
0: Okay, now the only movie that I have any reference on, and you probably know which one I'm going to say, yes. is yes. The Skulls. Yes. Exactly. Now, is that in any way, how much of that is true? Yeah, a a decent amount of it, actually. Oh, really? Okay, because it's one thing you never know, like, oh, well, it's like only 10% of this really true and the rest kind of made up, but so you would say, so a lot of it is kind of really that way, huh? Yeah, I mean, some of it, of course, is embellished,
1: but but yeah, I mean, the the foundational, like in my book, the foundation of this character getting into the secret society, a kid from the other side of the tracks gets into the secret society and he's trying to discover... The Mysteries of the Ancient Nine. I mean, a whole bunch of that stuff is very, very true. Um, Wow. Yeah, and it's very intriguing. It's a fun book. It's a fun book. I enjoyed writing it. Um, And it's funny because a lot of my classmates um, have read it, and they've Mm -hmm. liked it. I was a little – now, you talk about being nervous. I wasn't nervous, but I was like, geez, you know, people who know you the best sometimes are the most critical. And I was like, how are these these guys going to take a book about our school on our campus – and about our clubs, which are a big part of the social life
0: at Harvard. And uh, everyone liked it, actually. It was pretty good. That's pretty good. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. I, and, uh, but you, So you have thought about maybe doing a series on something like that then? Maybe oh, running yeah. two simultaneously, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, what I want to do
1: down the road is I want to have the character from the Blackbird Papers actually meet Ash Kane and for them to work together on something. That would be,
0: that oh, would be cool. Oh, okay. So yeah. like a little tie-in. Yeah, 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 that'd be awesome <laughs> Nice, nice Now, so what's next though So coming up, I'm sure you're going to have what, book two You got book two already coming out Book two's already done, it'll be out next October Yeah, um, in the hopper it's, it's called Wolf Point
1: um, It's a great case, it's based yeah. on a real case that happened in Chicago um, The one-liner is the president of the Chicago School Board uh, His body is found partially submerged in the Chicago River uh, Believed to be uh, brought on by suicide Death by suicide And his kids don't believe it
0: And we're off we're off And running right, right. Ask <laughs> And Kane. then we're off and running and there
1: it goes Find us the truth ask Kane. We want the truth We can't get closure until you give us the
0: truth Okay. <laughs> and he goes to work <laughs> Nice So you have a lot of fun uh, writing these books Do you have any superstitions when you write though Do you have anything like the pencils have to be in the right place Or are you just one of those ones that kind of hit it
1: yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about, like, people always ask me what my what my style is when I'm writing. I mean, I typically write in three places. Um, I write between my desktop and my laptop. Um, uh, and sometimes I love to write in the library, by the way. I go into the yep. stacks, uh, and I write in the stacks. That's a lot of fun. Um, but, I no, I don't have any superstitions. I mean, I listen to music. Um, I, t- I I kind of keep track of my page count. You know how many, how much I get accomplished. Um, Okay. You know each day I like to record that. Just kind of as I'm a very goal oriented person, so I like to see progress, um, especially when you got to write hundreds of pages and you're starting from zero. So you know going from five to ten to fifteen to thirty, like
0: okay, thirty pages, that's pretty good. So, um, but other than that, I don't have any real superstitions. Now writing book two because you know book. You know, the unspoken, you could have taken your time and as long time as you wanted to to get this one right. But then all of a sudden your publisher's like, all right, now you got ten months and we need the next one. So how was that, being able to kind of say, all right, now i got to jump right back into them and and kind of get it going and keep it fresh? Well, I write ahead. So I learned this
1: from um, Robert Parker. I was reading an interview uh, many years ago, Mm -hmm. and he was saying how he's always two books ahead. Uh, Lee Child is is at least a book ahead. I write ahead. So when I had finished – with the unspoken, before it even got edited, I had already written the second book because um, I want—I don't like deadlines. I don't want to write because I have to meet a deadline, a publication deadline. I think that can can uh, really stifle your creativity. You want so, it to be less work and more fun. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, for example, book three—I've already—I'm a third of that. I'm third done already with that for twenty. Okay. that's twenty twenty-two. I'm a third into that already.
0: Damn,
1: you're just getting into it. Well, you just, you know, Stephen King said writers write. Um, That's true. And, and, and they read. And they read. And so I one thing I don't do though is I don't read other people's works when I'm writing because I think okay. that sometimes subconsciously um that can influence influence the way you write or your concepts or your ideas. So okay. I have a whole stack next to my bed of books that I'm dying to dig into.
0: Uh, that I haven't been able to because I've been really, really productive over over the quarantine. So you've mentioned a lot of your influences in in Lee Child, and, and I see Harlan Coben blurb the book, and um, so so you so you kind of grew up reading kind of like those guys. Were there any others that, that uh, kind of influenced you? Well, the first the first one
1: um, to give him credit was John Grisham. I mean,
0: you ooh, know, ooh. I read The Firm
1: before The Firm was The Firm. I read Yeah, it I remember that. When, yeah,
0: I listened to that on audio.
1: Yeah, no one really was paying attention to it. It wasn't a big bestseller. My aunt, by the way, who was also a a voracious reader, she's the one who said, "Hey, you got to check this book out." And um, I went. I was in my little hometown. I went to this little used bookstore and got the paperback. And you know, and I've said in many interviews, what that book was so was such a page turner um, that I found myself trying to sneak in, you know, half a page at a red light. I couldn't stop. I had the book everywhere. I drove with it in case I could get a couple of of, of pages in it. And it just, the feeling I went through reading The Firm is the feeling I said I want to engender in someone else one day. I want someone else to feel the same way. I want them to feel, you know, all the uh, cathartic cathartic experiences I have. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. It was so cathartic. And, um, And so I wanted people to feel that, you know, highs and lows and guessing
0: and wrong turns and dead ends. I wanted to create the same thing in my fiction. Nice, yeah. Grisham was definitely—I mean, because he was—you know—one of the ones that really took um, him, Scott Turow, a couple others really took that legal thriller genre and really threw it out into the forefront. Yes, I mean he—you know—he
1: really—he really really drove it. And then, of course, I started reading. Then I started reading others. Um, I mean, since you're a doctor, did you ever jump into Michael Palmer and Robin Cook? You know, it's interesting. I kind of stayed away from those because I oh. knew the, I knew the medicine so well. Um, and so to me, it wasn't escapism, right? Okay. I wanted to read oh, that's something. True. You know, what I loved about Grisham is the legal angle, right? Yeah. It's something I don't know, so I'm actually learning. And it's not that I can't learn from the medical thrillers, but I find myself saying I would have done that differently or that doesn't make any sense or that doesn't work. Right. You know, so, so I really haven't. Gotten into those, but I do respect him. But I did like um, uh, Michael Crichton. I thought Michael okay. Crichton was masterful. He was absolutely masterful. Um, but anyway, so I, you know, so I haven't really read a lot of medical thrillers, um, <laughs> though I do have a medical thriller I want to write. But uh, yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, yeah. But but my one of my favorites, of course, is Henning Mankell, who unfortunately is no longer with us. Mm. The great Swedish writer. He's just, you know, he writes. It's more kind of procedural uh but it's still suspense and mystery but it, it's just so good he just mm-hmm. he just has a great great way of turning a phrase and and building character and it's just you know i can't get enough i'm so sad he's not with us because you know i've read all of his books i just said to myself i gotta go back and read another one uh because there are no more left oh yeah but at least you know at least they leave you with great words and that's the good part well that's the beauty of that's the beauty yeah. of books. That's why I want to write as many books as I can because books can last forever and and people from all walks of life, from all over the world, if it's a good story, people can enjoy it. And right. and, and, and it can be timeless. I mean think
0: it's about like a great all song. This. It keeps absolutely. getting played
1: over and over all the time. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean yeah. Queen is timeless, right? Bon Jovi yeah. is timeless. Earth right. Wind and Fire is timeless, right? Right. So, so one of my oh and one of the creators
0: of Cool in the Gang just passed away right, this week yeah. and I was like man yes where's Fresh and give me emergency and misled right. I love right, Cool in right, the right, Gang right. yeah
1: celebration Joanna right? yes so, yeah so so I always so I've always said hey listen I hope that I can write books that will long outlast me and still titillate and excite uh, and stupefy
0: generations way after I'm gone yeah that's good. Yeah, that's good. I mean that's uh that you know, that that's a goal that I, you know, hopefully a lot of authors have. I just uh you know, not a lot of authors achieve I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. But, Especially in today's day and age, you know, it's kinda of the same way with music. I always say music and books kinda of always take the same path. And the thing is that anybody today can pretty much write a book which is a good thing. Anybody can kind of go out there and write your book and get it published, but that's the other problem is that anybody can write a book, and there's so much out there that it's difficult for authors like yourself that are so good to try to get above the fray. And, you know, you just try to get above that noise, and that's why writing great books today is more important I think than ever before. Because you've got to stay above that fray. You can't cheat the reader anymore. They're not going right. to take
1: it. Right. 100%. Readers are yeah. smarter. They There's there's also readers have a lot of other stuff. Like, we, we live in a very distracted society, and there are a lot of options. Oh, so, got that right. Right? You just can't fool the readers. They don't have to read you. So they've got to want to read you, and it's your job as a, a writer to make them want to read you and to make
0: them keep coming back for more. Now, of course, we're living in the, you know, the pandemic world where everything is kind of shut down, but did you go to any conferences, or do you plan on going to any conferences, hopefully, if things open up in 21. Um, I would love to. My goodness, I'd love to go to conferences. I'd love you ever to go to Thriller things.
1: Fest? I've never been actually. Oh well, you got to go. Well, it was on. It was on the slate for me to go.
0: Oh, um, we would have seen you. Yeah. So we'll see yeah. what
1: happens. I mean, I not, hopefully you know, next year. We hope next year. I mean, I'll have one coming out every year, so I'll always have something to talk about. But yes, yeah. I would love to do it. Um, I think it would be a lot of fun, and um, I hear great stories from these conferences. Well, and there's Malice,
0: which is in Chicago. I don't know if you've ever been to Malice. I haven't been to Malice, actually. Um, yeah, that's right, in your backyard right there. That I is. I think it's, co- yeah, it's called Malic, Malice Domestic, I believe, but Malice, and that's in Chicago every year, and I think it's October-ish, and it's so it would have right? been coming up this year. would have been coming yeah. up soon. Yeah, well, this, yeah. this year is a wash, as
1: you know. Um, it's a wash, but um, hopefully an effective vaccine, hopefully people will kind of take it easy and let this thing die down and people follow protocol and we can
0: get back to some type of normalcy sooner rather than later. Yeah, we're hoping. I mean, at least there's football tonight uh, as we're taping this. It's the opening of the NFL season, so, you that's know, right. that's good. But, so The Unspoken comes out October 1st, um, and that's what everybody can buy. You can buy whatever format you want to buy it in. And where's the best place for your social media, everyone to find out about more information about your work?
1: Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is um, at Doctor Ian Smith. Spell the doctor out: I A N Smith. The character Ash Kane, lead character, he has his own Instagram page actually. It's nice. called I Am Ash Kane. A S H E C A Y N E. Follow him; it's a lot of fun. I, he takes you through the streets of Chicago and some of the places that are in the book. Uh, my website is driansmith.com, um, and
0: uh, yeah, you can get the book on Amazon.com. And we don't have live PD anymore, so Ash can do some live PD for us, right? There you go. There you go. That's right. That's right. So, well, hey, Ian, I got to tell you, we want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Congratulations. Again, the first book in your new series called The Unspoken. Again, everybody comes out October the 1st. You can find out. um, You can buy whatever format you want to buy it in. It'll be out then. But thank you so much for coming on, Ian. It's been a pleasure, and we wish you nothing but the best. Talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, man. I hope you'll uh, interview me for my next book. It'll be a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. Just have Megan give me a call.
1: I will. Take care, man. All right, right, ma'am. Bye bye.